to Two Strike Noise. I am Jeff Paulson sitting right across from me in the palatious Two Strike Noise studio. As always is Mark A. Johnston. Hello, Mark. How you doing? Man, it is so great to be back in the uh, driver's seat. Well, I guess it's maybe the co-pilot seat, but uh, it's good to be back here uh, resting, relaxing after a long weekend of, of mayhem and madness. Yeah, you had a, you had a long wet weekend from what i hear so hopefully we can we can recharge your batteries here with some uh some fun and frivolity just in case you didn't know this is two strike noise and we are actually a baseball history podcast that's what we do here i already did all my other podcasts we're recording a little bit late this week so i already did all my other podcasts so if you want to hear me talk about the khl draft you'll just you'll have to listen to my russian hockey podcast elsewhere because mark we're just going to do we're just going to do baseball stuff this week. No, no, nothing else. Hey, I wanted, I wanted to let you know, I appreciated you bringing me into your podcast on women's handball. Uh, I appreciated well, the opportunity. To sub, I definitely, definitely needed a, a veteran voice that was familiar with the ins and outs of, of that sport. Yeah. It, I mean, and I still don't understand it, but uh, it was sure nice to be on there and saying <laughs> uh, randomly funny things. At least hopefully someone thinks they were funny besides me. <laughs> So we got a couple of new things this week. First of all, I wanted to I wanted to start something new. So this uh, show, we're not recording it on June 4th, but that's when it will drop. So we're going to do a new thing here where we look back at some players that made their Major League debut on the day that this show is debuting. So we're going to turn the clock back to June 4th of uh, some years. I've got three names of note that made their Major League debut on this day. First, we're going to go back to 1989, and Kevin Apier made his Major League debut for the Kansas City Royals. He had uh, had a pretty good career starting pitcher. Kevin Apier, uh, solid right-handed starter, good strat card. Good strat. That's kind of how <laughs> we relate things. You played Stratomatic. I played a game called Status Pro, and yeah, it was pretty similar. It had the had cards like that. Uh, the, the next one goes back 10 years. It seems like he's been in the league much longer than this, but in 2009, Andrew McCutcheon made his major league debut for the Pittsburgh Pirates on this day. Gotta love Andrew McCutcheon, man. That, that guy is, uh, he can kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah, no, it, it just doesn't, it seems like he's been in the league longer than that because when you think of Andrew McCutcheon now, at least for me, I think of him as kind of on his way out. He's kind of lost you know definitely that mvp production that he had you know four or five years ago when he was still in pittsburgh but now he's just kind of shuffling between teams each season it doesn't seem like he's only been in the league for 10 years to me yeah that's a that's a good point i mean he was the face of of the pittsburgh yeah franchise for what seems like a good long while (laughs) well actually yeah it wasn't a decade was it because it's not quite 10 years now uh the last name i came up with that debuted on this day back in 2011 for the st louis cardinals matt carpenter oh great yeah matt carpenter uh another just a a, a kind of player you can sort of build around and know that he's always going to be there for you yep still there still uh strong mvp candidate for the for the cardinals uh as usual so that's that was fun. I it was weird because I looking through the uh, major league debut dates, June fourth. I don't know. It seems like it's always an off day. There were just not many uh, people that made their debuts on on that day. But I I came up with those three, which is good. Uh, next, uh, Mark, do you remember nineteen eighty five, the Chicago Bears and the NFL, the Super Bowl shuffle? 
Oh man, we didn't come to cause no trouble. We're just here to do the Super Bowl shuffle. <laughs> nope, don't remember it. <laughs> yes, I remember it very well uh, and kind of unfortunately. Well, every yeah, I mean, if you were alive during that time, you you could not escape the Super Bowl shuffle. And that that I I don't know if it was that particular. This was 1985 was right when rap was still new to mainstream. So, you know, people like my mom knew what rap was at this point. And that Super Bowl shuffle song, you know, was played on every radio station. And it, for some reason, gave athletes and teams all over the country the idea that they, too, could make a a rap or a song and it would be a hit. So, Mark, I have for you five of the most awkward and cringeworthy songs by baseball players and we're gonna start with one this is right up your alley and this actually predates the super bowl shuffle this is uh, a song called kingdom by lenny randall and the players and this is from 1981 and let's just let's just listen to it here just for uh, i'll give you a little sample here much four minutes of that (laughs) that's that's exciting stuff man i mean i don't know who big dog was but he was there (laughs) so i I just want to say that if i were a woman i think i might have just been impregnated by that song it was so sexy and smooth lenny randall was uh how do you even describe lenny randall to a non-seattleite he was kind of the goofy but really fun player but he was he was actually a good ball player but he he loved to have a good time and and he uh he would do things like for in some of the original mariners commercials and he would just act like goofy nutty he would wear like uh, bizarre outfits and stuff for the commercials it was great lenny randall was the man for a while and, and if you don't know who lenny randall is i i get i'm guessing you've probably seen a video of him the most famous video of him is when he got down on his hands and knees in the kingdom and tried to blow a, a slow-rolling ball into foul territory. That's that Lenny was, Randall. That was typical Lenny Randall, too, right there. Always providing you with some kind of entertainment. So, actually, that song was it, that song was not made just to make a song. That was actually made uh, to help raise money for a fan that had cerebral palsy. So, Lenny Randall stepping up, making a smooth-as-hell jazz funk fusion song about the kingdom which as if we needed another one but there there is a great one and and this was my first thought on this song is if there's a hundred words in this song 88 of them are kingdom well you know as you said it's it's a funky sexy kind of song and and to me the kingdom the giant concrete building uh just really had a lot of sex appeal it oozed sex didn't it it did (laughs) all right so next Brett Saberhagen, the Royals pitcher, starting pitcher for the Royals. This guy was during the '80s, especially the the late mid to late '80s, was as, almost as dominant a pitcher as you were going to find in the American League. Well, he teamed up with Ford to capitalize on the popularity of rap, which, uh, as I mentioned, this was still kind of new to everybody. So you could have a a, a stringy white. String being white guy, you know, from the Midwest trying to rap about a truck. And 
you you know people are not going to really bat an eye so let's take a listen to part of uh, brett saberhagen uh, pitching four trucks because they got the trucks that are on the ball from work to play they've got it all they've got a base that's a real steal and here's another very good deal or choose the truck named after me the special edition for mvp wow i mean I guess the idea of of having some sort of cadence didn't apply back then. <laughs> well, and if I didn't tell you that that was Brett Saberhagen, you would have maybe thought that was like an eight year old boy or a middle aged woman too. Like not most likely, <laughs> not your typical uh, rap voice. And if I do remember Brett Saberhagen well, and I believe I do, he was not a middle aged woman. <laughs> I'm gonna go back. I'll I'll look it up, but. I'm pretty sure you're, you're spot on that he was yeah. not. Uh, next, this is one of my favorites. 1986, the Los Angeles Dodgers, they laid a classic track down called the Baseball Boogie. Let's just, I, I'll, I'm just going to let you listen to it first. I, I have many comments on this one. So here we go. The 86 Dodgers, the Baseball Boogie. Have fun as you can see. Baseball very, very good to me. In Espanol and English too. We're gonna get down a little just for you. But we got the rhythm from our clubs right down to our shoes. Have you heard the news? Some of over Huey, Aretha and the Brothers Blue. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Oh boy, that uh that was hard to listen to. I'm going to be honest. Well, that's my new ringtone for my phone. So now, wow. well, you're going to be, you're going to be answering the phone privately because people are going to leave the room when that plays. So obviously this is not a visual medium. I'm not sure if you knew that or not, but uh, let me explain just explain to you what is happening and and by the way check out the show notes because i've got links to all of these videos listed there so you can actually watch them you you absolutely have to watch this video first of all that was pedro guerrero in there rapping which is is enough for the price of admission uh not to be outdone later though oral hersheiser gets in on it and it is it's again it's a brett saberhagen uh quality uh, performance. I, when I think of Oral Hershiser, I think of, of inner city rap. I, I yeah, I, I go more towards hardcore than this, but definitely I, Oral Hershiser is a name that comes to mind, but you've got to watch this because the players, they're all wearing satin jackets, you know, kind of like the warm up jackets for, for <laughs> baseball players. They're satin, but they're not baseball jackets. They're, they're just satin and they're all different colors. So like, oh, I think Pedro Guerrero is wearing a, a hot pink satin uh, jacket uh oral horse had kind of more of a dodger blue there's yellow there's red they're they're all different colors but then they're wearing their baseball pants and if you remember in the 80s players wore their pants really tight so yeah. it's it's a good combination and then seeing them try to dance is please watch this video they they tried to dance um, no they they didn't just try they did and they did a spectacular job Okay, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna click on this the moment you post it. Yeah, you you have to watch that. 1986, the Mets, the Mets decided that they were gonna record a song called "Get Metsmerized." 
that probably tells you about what this what the quality of this song is going to be. Let's uh, let's take a quick listen to it. With us, we're dynamite. Strawman Daryl is all the same. Call him Barry. What's in a name? Thank you, George. You're a classy guy with your black back. You know we sure rely. You know California is where I'm from. But for New York, I hit home run. So, well, you know, he kept a beat at least. Well, I think there was some editing in there. But first of all, let me Maybe. say, nobody's going to confuse Daryl Strawberry with Eminem on Rap God. There's Daryl is ch- rap challenged. He is that, that's not his his thing. <laughs> I just I, I don't even have any comments on. It. I think that well, one pretty much speaks for itself. I, I think I think something you may have overlooked here is um the whole West Coast versus East Coast rap battle, 1986, hello? Dodgers, Mets? Well, uh, it, that may have been where it all started. It might have been because he's from California, he says, but he's playing in New York. So, yeah, so that's like throwing a, a fastball at your head right there. Yeah, wow, Daryl. All right, our last one here, I saved the best for last. You remember Juan Berenguer? Absolutely. Journeyman relief pitcher. So he was on the Minnesota Twins in 1987. That was the year they won the World Series. And Juan Berenguer decided that he needed to celebrate this World Series win by recording a rap song about himself. Now, this is now Juan is gangster, let me tell you, because he starts his video out with a a, a pop shot at his former team, the Detroit Tigers. So, again, check the show notes so you can watch the entire video. But just a brief description here. It starts out with a prologue in text. It says, 1984, Juan Berenguer's 10th and 11th seasons for the Detroit Tigers helped put them into the World Series. But did they let him pitch in those games? Uh Uh-huh. The answer is no. He had a bone to pick. (laughs) So this is video of him. He shows up for this celebration at the Metrodome after they won the World Series in a trench coat, a sweet hat, and dark sunglasses. And then he also wears that same outfit during this rap. So let's let's go ahead and take a a quick listen to this song called El Gasolino, which, by the way, is uh, Berenguer's... It was the spring of 87 and baseball couldn't know This was the year of destiny for a team down from the snow They played their hearts out yet they struggled for so many years But this time around there's something new that every team will fear Look, Berenguer was... A fine pitcher, he really was, and for quite a while. <laughs> but but uh, may not have been blessed with the voice for rap. I'm just, you know. Well, when he's that gangster, you don't really need to to be that good because he's just taking well, pop shots at people, especially the Tigers. Well, and you know, join the club. <laughs> and he kind of reminds me in this video. Remember at Dodger Stadium back in the '80s and '90s, when the uh, the Dodgers had a guy standing behind home plate that had a cigar in his mouth and yes. uh, and a, and the, the hat and he'd wear sunglasses and he just held the yes. radar gun. It's kind of right. what it's kind of what Juan looks like in this whole video. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. Wow. Again, please do check out the show notes because these videos are not to be missed. Um, I they, they will lead you to the YouTube video so you can listen to the whole thing. If you want, you can even download them and then, you know, make them your ringtone like I have or, you know, while you're working out the great songs to, to keep you going. All right. So that's it for our BP segment. That was that was my favorite one, by the way, that we've done because those songs just I was literally crying earlier today when I found them. So <laughs> that's that good is stuff. good. Uh, all right. So let's uh, decide who goes first. Uh, who, who is going to go first? Well, you know what? Um, I think I know what your topic is today, and I think it's going to be a little more interesting. Um, so I, I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit. I think about Rube Waddell and um, about his awesome nickname. And then uh, I think you're going to fill in the fill us in on uh, a few more nicknames that you've discovered. All right, let's do it. You go first. All right, Rube Waddell. Um, also, uh, he was actually born George Edward Waddell in uh, 1876, born on Friday the 13th. Mm. And interestingly enough, he passed away on April Fool's Day. So <laughs> kind of packed everything in. Bookends. Uh, a, very, uh, a very short life. This is not one of the real happy stories. We don't just do Disney-type stories here on, on Two Strike Noise. So Rube Waddell, first of all, he got the nickname Rube because of the, uh, the, the word Rube. I looked it up in uh, Merriam-Webster, and it said uh, an awkward, unsophisticated person or a naive or inexperienced person. George Waddell, known for being a bit of a country bumpkin, um, and uh, he, he definitely earned that nickname. He uh, did not have a lot of formal schooling, but... Uh, we are pretty positive this was that he was literate, and uh, he worked a lot at mining and drilling sites early in his life, and so he built up his arms, his legs, his strength, physical condition was great. But uh, mentally, he, I think, in looking at just reading about him, studying him, I think he had some pretty awful ADHD. He was easily distracted uh, by fans, and a lot of information said he was distracted by fires and fire trucks. There is a school of thought that says. When fire trucks went by, he would drop the ball, run out, and check on the fire, or follow the fire trucks, or whatever. And then, but other people say that nah, that's just really um, uh, something that was kind of a fantasy. You know, he was such a goofball that he would leave the field and go fishing and go follow fire trucks. Wasn't necessarily that one hundred percent true, but there probably was some truth to uh, to some of this stuff because he would actually uh, go out and 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 look for a fire wagon if he heard one. And he was very genuinely fascinated by fires. He was uh, he would assist firefighters. He would volunteer as a firefighter. Anyway, so there, there's a lot of mythology around Rube Waddell, and, and most of it's based around him being a Rube. So, you know, and we, you know what? We did discuss Rube Foster in an earlier show. Rube Foster actually got his name because at the time, Rube Waddell was the dominant pitcher in baseball. And Rube Foster was known as the Black Rube Waddell. So he just became Rube, Rube Foster. And they apparently faced each other in a, uh, a very competitive exhibition game at the end of the season one year. And Mr. Rube Foster came out on top. Just so in case anyone was wondering about the Battle of the Rubes. I found this great quote about uh, because, you know, you think about someone like that, they could be annoying. But apparently he was not. Uh, he was very precocious and engaging. And here's the quote from the Columbus Dispatch. It said, there was delicious humor 
in many of his vagaries of vagabond impudence and ingeniousness that made them attractive to the public. Now, I have no idea what any of that means, but I think it had something to do with people liked him. I was just reading a, a story from an old-timey newspaper about some baseball game that happened 100 years ago, and I was the same way. I finished the story, and I said, I have no idea what they just told me, the way they write. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I just thought it was a great quote. So, so Rube signed his first professional contract in 1897 for an amount of $500. He was signed by the Louisville Cardinals. Now, over the next couple of seasons, he was loaned out to other teams in different leagues to get some more experience on the mound until finally in 1900, the National League actually contracted down to eight teams. And one of those teams that they contracted was Louisville, who still owned the rights to Rube. So what actually happened was the owners of Louisville, since their team was being contracted, they actually bought the Pittsburgh franchise. And then Waddell, along with some other players, maybe you've heard of, Honus Wagner uh, and Fred Clark, they were then transferred to the Pittsburgh franchise. He was very, very good. He was dominant. In 1900, he led uh, the National League in earned run average, and he was second in strikeouts, but he finished 8-13, and 13, oddly enough. So it was a with a 2370 RA still managed to lose 13 games. They weren't uh, they weren't thrilled with Mr. Waddell's off the field antics. So uh, Connie Mack, who was managing the uh, Milwaukee Brewers at the time in the American League, was desperate for pitching and he got permission from the Pirates to hey you can, you know what you can use Rube Waddell. He's yours. <laughs> However, if we ever want him back, you have to give him back to us. Now can you imagine a contract like that? Basically, can take him off our hands unless he gets really good. Then we're going to need him. So and uh, so he went and he pitched really well for uh, Milwaukee. Became kind of a living legend in Milwaukee. And uh, what do you know? The Pirates noticed and they said, "Okay, hey, that was awesome. You're uh, you're coming back to us." So back to the Pirates went Mr. Waddell, and again was rubbing people the wrong way. And was, his contract was sold to the Chicago Orphans. Now, how's that for it? <laughs> the Orphans, the Chicago Orphans. It's all the players um, nobody wants. He, uh, he, he didn't really like it in Chicago much. And he left to go tend bar for the rest of the 1901 season. Um, and then he hooked up with a barnstorming team. And they barnstormed all over California. He loved California, and he was super popular there. So he signed with the California League's Los Angeles Lulus in 1902. <laughs> the Lulus of the California League, which would later become the Pacific Coast League, which is kind of cool. Um, Connie Mack, of course, wanted to get him back because he always Connie Mack always really enjoyed uh, Rube's company, I'm sure, but he also really liked his pitching. Uh, so Connie Mack actually re-signed him. He's, he's in Philadelphia with the Philadelphia A's now. And he actually sent two Pinkerton agents to sneak Waddell back into Philadelphia so he could pitch for the Philadelphia A's. And, you know, the only way to get him there was by hiring the Pinkertons, apparently. The intrigue. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that just crazy? Um, some interesting things about Mr. Waddell. Uh, he was pretty much the game's premier power pitcher. He, uh, in 03, he had 302 strikeouts, which led the league by 115 more than the second base, the second place uh, finisher, Bill Donovan. So he followed that season with 349 strikeouts, which was 110 more than Jack Chesbro, who was the runner-up. 
And uh, this is kind of cool. No other pitcher compiled consecutive 300 strikeout seasons after that until Sandy Koufax did in 65 and 66. So that held up for more than 60 years. Very impressive. Um, his in uh, the, the year he, he got uh, 349 strikeouts is still sixth on the all-time modern baseball list of strikeouts in a season. So 119, 115 years ago, and he's still in the top 10, top six. It's pretty impressive. Um, now things start slowing down a little bit. Waddell is is known as the man in uh, in baseball. He is the power pitcher. He is Nolan Ryan of this of his times, but without the brains. And uh, I don't I don't know if he got into any fights with any left-handed hitting third baseman, but that would also. <laughs> Uh, I think he could hold his own just like Nolan did. I'm sure. I'm sure he could. Uh, but in 05, there was this weird thing that happened. It was a freak accident. This uh, Andy Coakley was a, a teammate and a friend of his. They got into a little scuffle over a straw hat. Rube slipped and fell. Boom. Hurt his left shoulder. Um, and he was a, a lefty. So that was kind of a bummer. And after that, he never really had the dominance he had before then. Now, there are some interesting rumors. This was in 1905 that he got hurt, and he was unable to pitch against the New York Giants in the World Series that year because of the injury. But if you watch, like, the movie Eight Men Out, or you read the book, or even if you just uh, look up baseball rumors from that era, that era, a lot of people say that Mr. Waddell was bribed not to pitch against the New York Giants that year. And uh, it's it's kind of interesting. I don't I don't buy into that simply because he was never dominant again after that. I, to me, it just makes sense that he was injured. He, uh, it was it was a great year for him, and he could have won the World Series for his team, but unfortunately, um, he was hurt. He uh, won what we call the pitcher's triple crown that season. He was twenty seven and ten, so he led the league with twenty seven wins. He had 287 strikeouts and a 1.48 earn run average, leading the American League in all three categories. Um, and he still pitched after that, and he was still fairly good. Like I said, not dominant. In 1908, he had a lot of problems with his teammates. He was rubbing people the wrong way. Connie Mack dealt him to the St. Louis Browns for five grand. And he pitched there. He pitched fairly well, but he never led the league in strikeouts or anything like that. He uh, he pitched effectively, and for two years he pitched there. 1910, he could not sign with anyone in the majors, so he went on to play independent and minor league ball for the next three years. And like I said, this winds down pretty quickly. He uh, caught pneumonia and then unfortunately was diagnosed with tuberculosis. And at the age of 37 in 1914, on April 1st, April Fool's Day, Rube Waddell passed away. So pretty tumultuous, crazy career, but uh, he is in the Hall of Fame because he was that impressive. Just to give you some career stats, um, his win-loss, pretty good, uh, 193 and 143. He struck out 2,316 batters over the course of his career, and he had a 2.16 earn run average and threw, check this out, 50 shutouts over the course of his career, 50 shutouts and 261 complete games. Anyway, Rube, Rube Waddell, if you get a chance to read about him, there's a lot of mythology. There's a lot of, of true, strange stories. 
not a guy that comes up in conversation a lot, but uh, in all honesty, one of the most dominant pitchers in Major League Baseball history. He was a lot of fun to learn about. I've been staring at his picture while you've been talking about him. And oh. uh, he is a very angular individual. His face is very, very unique. But I mean, yeah. I can also just tell from this this shot, headshot uh, of him, just he looks like a bulking, like just a like a thick man. Like if you punched him in the chest, you'd probably hurt your hand. Yeah, he was pretty big for uh, the times. You remember, this is the turn of the century. He was six foot one, about two hundred pounds. Well, that was uh, that was good. I, I like Rube, the, the nickname Rube, and I think Rube Foster and Rube Odell, they kind of tie into what I want to talk about because those are a couple of players that generally people know them by their their nickname more than they do their real name. I didn't know I didn't know his first name was George. No, yeah, a lot of especially back then. You know, Babe Ruth was also George. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, uh, Lou Gehrig was, wait, he was Lou. Never mind. Let's pretend <laughs> well, I didn't let, go let, off let, the reservation. Let's not, let's not spoil too much of my information because this, this all plays very nicely into my hand. I thought it might. That's why I wanted to go first, you That's, know? true professional true professional so this week i want to talk about nicknames and this was a topic that i thought uh you know let me look into it i don't even know if there's anything if there's enough here other than just reading nicknames off uh for a segment but i have literally enough we could do four shows right now with the amount of information <laughs> i have uh, because it was fun once i found out some of these strange nicknames to go and then do some research and find out you know, how did they get this nickname? So first, I, I wanted to do this in a couple of different kind of segments. So the first one here I want to talk about is nicknames by position. So okay. which position do you think has the most nicknamed players? Well, I, I, I'd have to go with uh, oftentimes nicknames are given to people who are a bit eccentric. So I'm going to have to go with pitchers, specifically lefties, but I'm going to say pitchers. No, I, that is a great answer because one, you're correct. Pitcher by far has the most the, the most uh, nicknames. What do you think from what you just said? What do you think the most <laughs> common nickname is for pitchers? I'm, I'm going to guess lefty. You got it. <laughs> 130 noted Whoa. pitchers that are nicknamed lefty. Of those, 130 of them are left-handers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Followed up uh, at the at the pitcher position, 19 Reds, 16 wow. Docs, which I, I, I couldn't think of any Reds off the top of my head. I can think of two Docs and Holiday and Gooden. Mm -hmm. And then we've got 13 Bucks and 13 Dutches. Dutches. Oh, Dutch. Wow. So next we go to Catcher where we've got 10 Reds, and then we've got five docks and five dutches next we'll go to first base where we've got nine dutches eight wow. lefties uh we're gonna jump down to second base we've got six docks dutches reds and whiteys Wow, <laughs> that, that sounds Six weird when I, when I say whiteys at the end there. Yes. And then uh, next is five rabbits, which makes sense because for second base, you know, generally you used to especially have little quick guys at second base. Right. You can turn that double play. Uh, let's third base, 11 reds leading the way. And we've got eight duches. 
then kind of tails off after that. At shortstop, we've got nine reds. A lot of gingers apparently get nicknames when they play baseball. <laughs> apparently, if your hair is red, you get you get named red, red. if you play yeah. baseball. <laughs> well, I remember I, I Ron Fairley. Ron Fairley. Yes. Yeah, his nickname's Red. Red. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've never known a, a player to be named Brown as a nickname anyway. <laughs> so or after gray? that, we've we've got eight Dutches and six Whiteys. <laughs> what with all the Dutches? <laughs> what just... When's the last time there was a player named Dutch actually playing? Darren Dalton. I mean... Well, Darren Dalton, Dutch. That's his Dutch nickname. Dalton. There you okay. go. Ah, pulled that one out. Uh, let's move now finally to the outfield. We've got 16 Reds, 15 Lefties, 11 Docks, and 11 Dutches. So I took the three most common names here, which were Lefty, Red, and Dutch, and I totaled them up. So for Lefty, we've got 153 known Lefties. 130 of those are pitchers. We've got 71 Reds. So that that's a lot of fair-skinned baseball players yes and then 60 dutches wow i didn't total the whiteies (laughs) so i wanted to start out with just a couple of quick stories about a couple of of nicknames specifically uh nicknames on jerseys because that's something now we see on players weekend but you don't see it any other time everybody else just has their name on it so uh ken harrelson we all know my favorite um, he's obviously his nickname was Hawk. So for the, uh, he was playing for the Indians in 1969. He actually wore Hawk on the back of his Jersey instead no of Harrelson. Yeah, I did not so know that. I thought it was pretty cool anyway. In yeah. 1979, Johnny LeMaster, the shortstop for the Giants. Now, interesting story. Johnny LeMaster is the first baseball card I can ever remember holding in my hands. Really? I don't know why I remember that, but I remember it was Johnny LeMaster. I remember exactly the card. I I don't I couldn't tell you if, the year, but I remember the picture. And maybe I'll have to go back and find it. Just but he was the first baseball card I ever held in my hands. His nickname huh. was Boo B O O. So he thought in 1979 okay. it'd be a good idea to wear that on the back of his jersey. <laughs> Boo. And the fans did, I'm sure. I'm sure. Every game felt like a home game for him, though, because they were all cheering his name all the time. Uh, Charles Finley, you know, he did things differently. Uh, during the 60s and 70s, he often put players' nicknames on the back of their jerseys. So Bert Campanaris uh, wore Campy on the back of his jersey for a while. Okay. And Jim Hunter, who there's another player that most people know from their his nickname more than his real name, Catfish Hunter. He wore Catfish on the back of his jersey. Okay. Other uh, major leaguers who wore nicknames uh, on the back of their jerseys. A lot of this happened in the 70s. Kind of freewheeling time in the MLB. Jimmy Wynn. Remember Jimmy Wynn's nickname? I win, lose, or draw? <laughs> Very good, but no. Winnie he was the Pooh? He was the Toy Cannon. The Toy Cannon. Oh, I should have known that. And it's great. It's, it's such a great name. So he was only sure. five foot ten, but he had pop. He had 291 career home runs. And, and that was playing in Houston a lot of the time, which was at that time a yeah. pitcher's ballpark. So he... His nickname was the Toy Cannon, so he wore Cannon on the back of his jersey. Jerry Royster, a pitcher, he wore Jaybird. Hmm. Uh, a player named Roland Office, who I have never heard of before, but uh, it sounds more like a location than a player's name, but he wore Row on the back of his jersey. 
And then probably the uh, most famous one it came from the Atlanta Braves. So this was back when Ted Turner, of course, owned the team. And the Braves games were on TBS, which was on cable, but locally in Atlanta, it was Channel 17. So Messersmith wore number 17, and uh, they started to call him Channel. So he wore on the back of his jersey, Channel, and then 17, which was, of course, <laughs> the TV station that his owner owned. So... Brownie points for Andy. We got a little a little cut for you know. Yeah, I probably all, did all the free press. Good ratings. Um, and then finally, yeah. somebody not a nickname, but somebody that their entire career never wore their last name on the back of their jersey was Ichiro. Oh sure. And yeah. I'm trying. I was trying to think. I I don't think any other Japanese player that's come and played here has ever worn anything other than their last i mean ichiro's different because he's he's kind of like you know it's a brand just kind of like brazilian soccer players usually just have a first name and that's what they wear on the back of their jersey so i think you know ichiro's more of a brand than that being a name that you would expect to see suzuki on the back of his jersey right yeah good point all right so uh, i wanted to now uh we're going to go through uh some uh, some decades, because I, 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 I broke these down by decades, and these are players that I had not heard of. I've heard of one or two of them, but th- their nicknames, I couldn't pass them up. So we're going to start in the 1900s, okay. and some of these I've got more information on. Some of them, I just like the nickname, and there were no great stories. First, we've got Joe Adams. His nickname was Wagon Tongue. That is <laughs> wagon, like okay. wagon train. Not like he was wagging his tail, but Wagon Tongue. No information as to why he is called that. I guess he had okay. a huge tongue or something. Uh, Everybody Norman, make up your own story. <laughs> insert here. Uh, Norman Elberfield, his nickname was the Tabasco Kid, which I can just imagine this guy. I, I'm assuming Tabasco sauce was around then, and he just loved it. Or he was a pitcher, and he'd put it on the ball because it was legal then. I don't know. <laughs> Those are possible, or he may have come from the Tabasco region of Mexico. Well, Norman Elberfeld doesn't really sound Mexican to me. <laughs> All right. I uh, entered the foot in my mouth on that one. Let's move on, please. I'm not saying he wasn't, but I'm, I, have a, I have a suspicion that he's probably not from Mexico. <laughs> uh, next, we've got Bree Lord, and I'm assuming it's Bree. It's spelled B-R-I-S. So it's either Bree or Briss Lord. His nickname was the Human Eyeball. <laughs> and get this, his, his middle name was Robotham, which spells, if you, if you break it up into two words, spells Robot Ham. So <laughs> some pretty cool stuff. I did look up his, his numbers, though. I thought the Human Eyeball, maybe he's got a great eye and he walks all the time. No. Um, in his eight-year career, he only walked 175 times. His career on base percentage was only 307. So couldn't find out why he was called the human eyeball, but it's a good wow, name. Maybe he just had a lot of veins uh, poking out of his skin or something. I don't know. Next, we've got Pierce Chills or Chilies, C-H-I-L-E-S. I don't know how to pronounce these names. His nickname was What's the Use? <laughs> so... <laughs> So um, now this guy is a this guy might be an episode on his own. Although I'm going to tell you all the interesting stuff right now. So during his time with the Phillies as a third base coach, he became 
infamous for stealing signs as a third base coach. So um, red stop shortstop Tommy, Co- Tommy Cochran at one point noticed that Chill's leg twitched, but only when they were at home at the Baker Bowl. And he only stood in the same spot, which was always this puddle of water, which seemed to be there, even if it hadn't rained in weeks. So on September 17th, 1900, Cochran ran to where Chills was standing and kicked his cleats in the dirt until he found a wooden box with protruding wires coming out of it. Through this device, someone in the stadium was stealing opponents' pitching signs and signaling him via electronic pulses from this box that's buried underneath them with a pool of water above it. So then Chills then verbally fed the pitch to the batter. So he was getting electrocuted and by that he would know what pitch was coming like okay one one shock is a fastball two is a curve and then he'd pass it along. So he 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 got discovered but he was not penalized apparently they're like uh oh, you know all right we caught you but that was pretty cool. Uh, he got his nickname, however, though, from when he was a player and whenever opponent would, an opponent would pop up the ball and, you know, he'd make an easy catch. He'd yell at them. What's the use? So (laughs) that's how he got his nickname. All Um, right. Well, all right. So let's jump to the 1920s. Um, Nick Cullop, his nickname was tomato face. (laughs) Now he was, I made a joke earlier, but he actually was a redhead. And he spent a lot of time in the sun, and they did not have suntan lotion at that point. So I'm going to guess that he probably got pretty red-faced. Next was Fred Bootnose Hoffman. (laughs) Probably a very handsome gentleman. Sounds Uh, like it. Next, George High Pockets Kelly. So (laughs) old High Pockets is in the Baseball Hall of Fame, if you didn't know. I did not. But he has actually been called the worst Hall of Famer ever. So, and of course, this is just until Jeter is inducted. But oh. um, shots, shots. Yes. I'm giving you kudos on that one, pal. <laughs> I, I did look up uh, old High Pockets uh, career numbers. Yeah, they're, they're okay. A career 297 hitter. He played for 16 years. Uh, his OPS was 794. He was third in MVP voting in 1925. So. <laughs> I mean, that's really about the the highlight. He led the league in in RBIs in that year. Just kind of a solid player. I agree. Probably not Hall of Fame material, but he he is in there. Maybe uh, maybe there's something spectacular about him off the field. I, I just I would like to think that people aren't just tossed into the Hall of Fame for hitting two ninety seven, right? Right. I don't know. Jim Rice is there. Oh, now I'm. F- now I'm pissing Red wow. Sox fans off. You're going right. after the East Coast here, man. We, we, we don't want to upset those people. Some of the greatest fans in the world, he kissed butt and said. All right, so let's move on. So we got old Stubblebeard, which is Burley Grimes. I've heard of Burley nice. Grimes. I didn't know that name. but And then we've got Red the Florida Flamingo Kazi. Now I'm guessing his first name wasn't actually Red either. <laughs> but... So he had a nickname for his nickname. He did. <laughs> All right, moving uh, moving along quickly here to the 30s. We've got Poison Ivy Andrews. That's a good one. Uh, Hen- Henry Heine Miney. His last name was Miney, so they called him Heine. <laughs> Heine Miney? Heine Miney. Okay. Uh, Luke Hot Potato Hamlin. So nice. Hot Potato was a pitcher, and he used to juggle the ball in his hand while he was getting ready to pitch. So it's like he was handling a hot potato. Hot Potato Hamlin. I like that. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. 
ugly Johnny Dick shot, which coincidentally <laughs> is the name of my sex tape. <laughs> hey, I, I actually I, I'm familiar with Johnny Dick shot. Are you? His name was well, I am because I always thought it was funny that his name was Johnny Dick shot, and to make it worse, they decided to call him ugly. <laughs> I mean, things could not have been easy for Johnny Dickshot. <laughs> no, no. Uh, next, we've got Bill the Man Nobody Knows Dicky. <laughs> okay. Now, this is kind of funny. It, after This one actually took a lot of research to find out why he was called the man that nobody knows. And it was actually just because he was very aloof and didn't really interact with a lot of people. But mm. the fact that it took me that long to figure that out tells me nobody really did know him because nobody ever wrote it down. Uh, next, we've got Willie Puddenhead Jones. Um, and the only thing I... There's a there's a poem about this kid that's fat and funny and dumber than sticks and stones. And apparently, they called him that as a kid, and he just kept it, uh, kept it for his entire life. I guess he kind of owned it. But Puddenhead. Puddenhead. So now we're going to jump to the 1980s. Um, Bert the Frying Dutchman Blylevin. I did, did Bert like to cook the frying Dutchman? The frying Dutchman? Yeah. So it's a it's a take off, it's a play of the flying Dutchman, but I maybe he liked fry food. I don't know. I I remember maybe. Bert Blylevin because I, I I'm not a big fan of Chris Berman. I think his shtick's really old. But I remember he had a good one for Bert Blylevin. Was Bert Be Home yes. Blylevin? Be home Blylevin. Yeah. That's right. Uh next we've got Dennis Oil Can Boyd. We've got The Wizard for Ozzie Smith. That was a good one. Von Hayes. Oh. So you remember Von Hayes for the Philadelphia Phillies oh, yeah. most of his career. I, first of all, I always thought Von Hayes, well, not always, I first thought Von Hayes was his last name. You know, it sounds like a last name, but Von is his first name. Did you know he had a nickname? Because I did not. I, I did not. Five for one. I, 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 for I one? couldn't figure out what it meant either. I, I didn't do a whole lot of research on that one, but I couldn't find out why it was called Five for One. Um, Vin, this is a good one. Vince Coleman, of course, he, he was a speedster right at the same time Ricky was uh, was at the height of his base-stealing career. Vincent Van Gogh, which is a great oh, one sure. for him. Then uh, the 2000s, do you remember Antonio Alfonseca, relief pitcher? I do, sure. You remember what his nickname was? I do not. The Octopus. Do you remember? Okay. I'm going to guess if you didn't remember that, you don't know why he was called the octopus, do you? No, I, I, I do not. He had six fingers on his pitching hand. No kidding. Yeah. So he could get some some different movement with, with that extra finger. Kind of uh, like a Count Rugen from uh, The Princess Bride. Okay. Wow. I, <laughs> this is a baseball broadcast. I'm sorry. Go on, please. Uh, Travis Hafner. You remember Pronk? Pronk Hafner? Yeah, Pronk. He was for for four or five years. He was kind of like Aaron Judge. I mean, this nobody hit the ball harder than Pronk, but he was called Pronk because he was half project and half donkey. Those were his two <laughs> nicknames. So they merged them into Pronk. Okay. Uh, Matt Stairs. He was an athletic for a while, but he kind of made the stops everywhere. I think he's even a broadcaster for the Phillies now. I did not know he had a nickname, but it was Wonder Hamster. <laughs> Matt Stairs. Wonder, Wonder hamster. hamster, yeah. You know, I, I, one thing I always said about Matt Stairs is his career was up and down. <laughs> Moving on. Rim shot. Yes. Uh, Doug Menkevich, one of our favorites. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
His nickname was iChart. I'm Perfect. guessing it's just because the number of weird letters. I guess Mark Zimchinski could be called the the modern day iChart, even though he's known sure. as Scrabble, which is not a good one. I like I like Zipper better, but he is the Zipper. Uh, Dimitri Young, remember Dimitri? Yeah, he was uh, nicknamed Demeat Hook. <laughs> Dimitri okay. Demeat Hook. We've got the Flying Hawaiian, Shane Victorino. Mm-hmm. And I had not heard this one before. I remember Kurt Laskanik. I remember him especially with the with the Rockies. His nickname was Let's Panic. So it's Kurt <laughs> Let's Panic Laskanik. <laughs> Let's Panic. Now, was was that an endearing nickname or was that what uh, the It doesn't sound like it, it to me. <laughs> yeah. It's um, like when the, uh, when, when the closer for the Mariners used to be Jose Mesa, the people often refer to him as Jose Messup. <laughs> Jose Mesa, a.k.a. Joe Table. There you go. Um, all right, so just a couple of, now let's just get into some, I'm going to quiz you on some of these. These are some, some easy ones. So Charlie Hustle. Uh, okay, that would be non-Hall of Fame uh, Pete Rose. Correct. And and I should say we're no longer in a decade. Just I'm just going over okay. some some general nicknames. The man. I'm hoping that's Stan Musial. It is. Either or I would have also accepted Rick Flair or Becky Lynch. Woo! Okay. We we are now a wrestling podcast. <laughs> uh next we've got Donnie Baseball. And and a guy that I was arguing to be in the Hall of Fame. Yep. Don Mattingly. I love Don Mattingly. Uh, the Splendid Splinter. Ted Williams. You got it. Now we get into Lou Gehrig. So I, I'm i going to guess you, you know what Lou Gehrig's nickname was. I believe they called him the Iron Horse. They did now. Some people did. He was okay. also known as Biscuit Pants. Biscuit Pants. Biscuit Pants. I... This was as a result of his prodigious derriere is what I found. No kidding. <laughs> now who knew that Lou Gehrig had junk in the trunk? Baby got back for Lou Gehrig <laughs> and a bat. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> uh, how about this one? Now we're now we'll, we'll we'll get into some some tougher ones. The Mad Hungarian. Ooh, uh, uh, Har- Al Harbrowski. Al Harbrowski, correct. Yes. yes, he's pitcher. He would he had the the Fu Manchu mustache, and he would yell at himself and pound the ball oh, into man. his glove at the in, on the on the mound. Could huge good. huge fro too. The guy was a character. <laughs> and didn't he he played if i'm not correct because i if i'm not correct if i am correct because i just saw a clip of major league today didn't he play the first baseman the the villain in the first major league for the yankees uh was that al Hrabrowski? i'm pretty sure it was i that could be wrong cool. we'll we'll look that up uh here we go the human rain delay oh uh hargrove Yep, Mike Hargrove. Now, can you imagine if Mike Hargrove and Robinson Cano were batting back to back in an inning? How long oh that gosh. inning would take? My God! And, it, and what if what if they were facing Corey Gearin? Oh my God! He's, he's the pitching human rain delay. Yeah, you might as well just pack it up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I was unaware that Thurman Munson had a had a nickname. Did you have you ever heard of Thurman Munson having a nickname? No, I, I was not aware of that one either. His nickname was Squatty Body. <laughs> wow. And that obviously came from his thick frame, but this makes me laugh because it sounds a lot like Squatty Potty, which <laughs> yes, the... that product makes me laugh too. <laughs> you, uh, didn't you invent that? 
or was it a friend of yours? No, yeah, I'm just like that. Just a big, big fan and user of it. Yes. Uh, so I'm gonna the squatty I'm, potty. I'm gonna throw this one in, of course. Uh, the Man of Steel. Uh, well, now if I got that one wrong, you would disown me. That would, would be Ricky Anderson. I would edit you out of this podcast forever. That's right. Some some more easy ones just uh, to get through these. We've got the Georgia Peach for Ty Cobb, Mister October for Reggie Jackson, uh, Big Poison Paul Wayner. I love that name, Big oh. Poison. Old Aches and Pains for Luke Appling. We're going through the Hall of Fame here, apparently now. This was one of this is one of my favorites. I've heard of both of these. I love both of them for this player. Orlando Cepeda, Hall of Famer for the San Francisco Giants. He was known either as Baby Bull and also as Cha Cha. I think those are two great names. Those are both really cool names to have. Yeah, I'm with I li- you. I like them. I I have a hard time deciding what to call him if he were still alive. Because and I met him, I'd be like, I don't know. I love them both. Um, another player with two nicknames: Bob Feller. Hall of Fame pitcher. I know him as Rapid Robert. That's what that's because I think that's a great nickname. But uh, yeah. I love his other nickname, the Heater from Van Meter. Making, <laughs> I've making, never heard reference, of that one. making reference to his hometown. Nice. Uh, next, we've got uh, Vladimir Guerrero Sr. I love these. Vlad the Impaler and yes. Big Daddy Vladdy. Beautiful. A big Six. I, this is one of my favorites. Big Six. Christy Matheson. I, I took me, I was like, I have, I, before I looked up, I'm like, wh- how did he get this nickname? What, what is it? I thought maybe in an all-star game, like he struck out six hall of famers in a row or something, but he was named after New York's most famous fire engine of the time, which oh. that's a pretty good origin story. Yeah. I like that. Uh, we got the say, Hey kid, Willie Mays, because he used to never remember anybody's name. So he would just to get their attention, he'd go, Hey, say, Hey. Uh, that the, that's where it came from. I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah. He just called everybody. Say hey, uh, the Cobra, Dave Parker. Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorites. Mike Epstein, nickname the Super Jew. <laughs> right on. Now that is freaking awesome nickname. Now Mike Epstein did not have much of a major league career, but in 1965 he was named MVP of the California League, and a rival manager who who Mike Epstein tormented with his torrid season gave him that nickname. That's fantastic. Uh, two current players, Anthony Rendon is he's known as Tony Two Bags. Oh, that's probably also okay. his Sopranos nickname. Right. And then uh, of course one a pod favorite, Rognet Odor. Nickname Stinky. <laughs> the last name being Odor. <laughs> yes, I, I, I like that. Stinky. I don't think I'd want to be called that, but, uh, you know. All right, so I saved I saved four, four final ones here. Gary Maddox, the Secretary of Defense. Nice. So nice. Maddox was a center fielder, of course, and a incredible center fielder, and the great Harry Callis, the announcer for the Philadelphia Phillies, at one time said this, two-thirds of the earth is covered by water, the other third is covered by Gary Maddox. Nice. <laughs> finally, or not finally, but next we've got Norman Stearns, a.k.a. Turkey Stearns. So nice. Turkey is a uh, Hall of Famer, played in the, played in the Negro Leagues, and what is notable mostly about him is his prestigious power. 
He officially hit more home runs than any other Negro leaguer, including Josh Gibson. So remember, we've talked in the past about how, you know, record keeping was really spotty in the Negro League. So a lot of those Josh Gibson bombs probably just were never recorded. Uh, Turkey got his nickname, though, for the way he ran around the bases with his arms flapping about. (laughs) Well, okay, I can see that. Next, we've got another Negro League great, Double Duty Radcliffe, whose first name was Ted. Uh, Double Duty got his name from the 1932 Negro League World Series where they played a doubleheader, and he he caught the first game, and then he threw a shutout in the second. That's a hard-earned nickname right there. That's fantastic. Uh, Samuel Bird. Now, this is a great one. Samuel Bird's nickname was Babe Ruth's Legs. Okay. So Bird was a backup outfielder for the Yankees in the 30s, and he earned his nickname for frequently pinch running for Babe Ruth at the end of his career. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, so there we go. That's So I, I literally, I still have another page of these. I mean, this was wow. such a great topic. We're going to definitely have to revisit it. Um, I, I Just so many of those, so many great stories behind these nicknames, too. No doubt. That's fantastic. That's good stuff, Jeff. Yeah, thank you very much. That was that was a fun one for me. So uh, let's now let's transition uh, from the main part uh, to everybody's favorite segment, where we have a little bit of fun. We listen to a theme song that then gets stuck in our heads, even though you don't want it to. So let's go and uh, jump right into second best. Your second best, better than most of the rest. Better than number one. Number one is better than anyone. So if you are new to the pod, welcome. This is the segment we call Second Best. This is where we come up with a topic, and uh, only one of us knows the topic. In this case, it's me. Uh, I will tell Mark what the topic is. I will give him some time to uh, stew on it in the corner in silence with his headphones on and a I mask over in complete isolation Yes, uh, to think about his answer for what he thinks the second best nickname of all time is. So I've just given you a whole multitude of nicknames to choose from. Yes. You're going to have to pick through those. And I would like to know, one, what you think the, the best nickname of all time is. But then I want to know, what is the second best nickname after that one? So. Okay. You go in the corner, or you can right. just stand, stay right where you're at and listen to me tell you what I think my, the best and second best are. <laughs> you know what? I think I'll stick around. I, I can uh, talk and chew gum at the same time, All right. I think. Well, now, normally, I usually pick a couple of things just in case you pick one that's the same as me, but I held back two really good nicknames from that last segment so that you, you probably weren't, weren't going to have them for my, gotcha. for my first and second. So what I think the best nickname of all time is i'm going back to the 1890s i'm going back to the boston bean eaters and i'm going back to an outfielder jimmy foxy grandpa bannon (laughs) now foxy grandpa (laughs) foxy grandpa now the thing was he only played in his 20s (laughs) so it's pretty unlikely he was actually a grandfather but he was a handsome man (laughs) so (laughs) apparently so 
So I think uh, for me, uh, Foxy Grandpa is probably the best nickname. Now, my second best nickname, I'm going to go a little bit more contemporary. I'm going to go with Jeffrey Leonard. Now, I knew of Jeffrey Leonard mainly from the from the San Francisco Giants. Uh, he was definitely on the uh, 89 Giants uh, against, you know, he played in the Bay Bridge series against the A's. I knew of him. I knew his nickname was Hack, which I like that. That's a great baseball nickname. Yes. But apparently teammates called him Penitentiary Face. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeffrey Leonard had kind of a, an iron stare. He had a little wispy mustache. And, you know, just he didn't look like he was really a, a real pleasant person, I guess, trying to be polite. Um, so teammates gave him that nickname. At one point, though, he got a little tired of it, and he, he requested an upgrade. He would he requested that people call him Correctional Facility Face, but that, <laughs> that did not catch on. And that I is a true imagine. story. That did not catch on, though. <laughs> so they kept calling him Penitentiary Face. So there are my, what I think were the best and the second best nickname of all time. That's, that's good stuff. Now, I, a little bit about... Jeffrey Leonard. Um, he had a couple other names that people called him as well. Uh, some I can say on the air. Um, one, like you mentioned, Hack or Hackman, which I always thought was cool. But he was also known as Jeff or Jeffrey. Don't call me Jeff Leonard. Oh, that I have. I know why because he bounced around to a lot of teams because of his attitude, very similar to to uh, yeah. to Rue Waddell. And um, at one point, he decided he wanted to be taken more seriously. So he asked everybody to stop calling him Jeff. He wanted to be referred to as Jeffrey from there on. A little, I likewise would like to, from now on, be called Jeffrey. Oh, man, be careful what you wish for, pal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, what, what, are your, what do you think is the best and the second best nickname of all time? Okay, well, just kind of bouncing things around. Um, I was going to say, and I would have if I hadn't learned more about this individual, but the first commissioner of baseball Kennesaw Mountain Landis was not a nickname. That not, was his real not a name. Nickname. Yep. So I can't I can't pick <laughs> Kennesaw Mountain Landis. And I've been telling people forever that's my favorite nickname. <laughs> so now I, I had to come up with a whole new one. So I I, I decided I'm going to kind of stick with players that I've seen play and that I have called by their nicknames. Uh, one, this is honorable mention because uh, Adam Jones calls himself this nickname, but nobody else refers to him. He, uh, he said if he were going to choose his own nickname, he would call himself Captain Slappy. So <laughs> Adam, Captain Slappy Jones, uh, honorable mention on here. No one else uses the nickname, but I'm still going to count it for the honorable mention category because how can you not like being called Captain Slappy? In fact, you can call me Captain Slappy anytime you want. Be careful what you wish for. There you go. Uh, right All right, right now, back at you. <laughs> going on to the actual um, – there are two guys that stand out to me that that uh, I, I watched over the course of, of my life, uh, my younger days. And uh, I would say my, my number one nickname of all time is probably Fred McGriff, the crime dog. Uh, Very good. You, you just can't – you can't – nobody else is ever going to be called the crime dog or the crime anything. Uh, and Fred, Fred McGriff was named that if, you, if people aren't aware there was a, a – uh, Saturday morning cartoons, uh, public service announcement. And it was a dog and he was a, uh, dressed was like, like a, a flasher. He, he was, he had a, yeah, he had a overcoat on and, and he was a detective and his name was McGruff. 
McGruff, take a bite out of crime, that sort of thing. So Fred McGriff has a, a similar moniker, McGriff, McGruff. So everyone starts just calling him the crime dog. And uh, I don't know if he ever actually fought crime, but that is really an awesome nickname. I would love to be known as the crime dog or, in my case, the crime lion. Anyway, don't don't forget uh, crime dog going into the Negro League uh, Museum and Hall of Fame this year, the Hall of Game. That's right. At the end at the end of this month. And deservedly so. Yes. So that would be that to me, that's the number one nickname of all time. Um, the second one, and, and I, I love this nickname, one, because it's just funny, but two, because of what it stands for, and that would be Dennis Oil Can Boyd. You mentioned him real quickly, uh, and I, I didn't comment because I thought, what if he asked me what my favorite nickname is? <laughs> and what do you know? Um, Dennis Boyd, also known as Oil Can. In fact, nobody really even called him Dennis uh, that I remember. He was just always known as Oil Can or Oil Can Boyd. Uh, he pitched in Boston. He got the nickname because he was from Mississippi, and, he, and where he was from, they just referred to beer as oil. So they would be, <laughs> they would say, pass me the oil can. And apparently he was quite prodigious at drinking said oil and became known as basically beer can Boyd, but because he was from Mississippi, oil can Boyd. And that's where it wow. came from, and I would say that's my second favorite nickname of all time. I did not know that. That is interesting. Yeah. Now, now. He was on the Red Sox at the same time Wade Boggs was, correct? Yes. So we all know the the legend of Wade Boggs downing the however many, what ranges from 70 to 106 beers on the cross-country flight. Can you imagine if those two got together? And think if you threw Andre the Giant in there as well, the amount of beers that could be consumed. (laughs) Man. Yeah, no, that's that's not like a a convenience store amount of beers. That's like a super Walmart amount of beers. (laughs) You you might just hand them each a keg and and see who finished first. That's good. Those are two good picks. I I did not know that oil can void. Pretty uh, interesting. Story. That's very good. Uh, that'll wrap up second best for today. Uh, Mark, we have had one jam-packed show today. I had a lot of fun. Uh, one, learning about Rube Waddell to file him away with Rube Foster because I kept getting that mixed up in my head. And then uh, then the nicknames was a lot of fun, too. And I still have enough left for another show to do on that. So that's good stuff. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'd like to remind everybody uh, that you can follow us on social media. We appreciate it. We can be found at Two Strike Noise. That is TWO Strike Noise on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I would uh, also ask again that you look at our show notes where you can find the links to those fantastic uh, videos and songs that we talked about in the first segment here today because they will absolutely make your day. Uh, Also, uh, it really helps us out if you could please rate and review us on whatever platform you are listening to us on right now. That helps us uh, in many, many ways. Uh, Mark, I had such a good time. I would like to do this next week. Do you think that is a possibility? Well, I'm I'm hoping to do it sooner, but if we have to wait till next week, then I'll be fine with that. All right. Well, then I'm going to mark it on my calendar. I will see you next week. Hopefully we will see you all as well on another edition of Two Strike Noise. Thanks, Jeff. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. God bless you. Have a great day. 